Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning comes to us from the book of Ephesians. It's uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. I'll be reading uh, from chapter 2 and verses uh, 4, uh, 4 through 10. I am continuing my sermon series that I'm calling the five uh, solas of the Reformation. Uh, two weeks ago when we kicked things off, we talked about a sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. Last week, we talked about a sola fide, which is faith alone. Today, we're looking at the third of those uh, solas, and it's the sola gratia, which is grace alone. And this is the signature text from the Apostle Paul on that subject matter. So I invite you to follow along on the screen. Paul writing says, but God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I read uh, the story this week about an employee who described his boss as an egotistical, maniacal idiot with an inferiority complex. And those were the nice things he had to say about him. The employee said, we both had the same first name, and yet he never seemed to be able to remember mine. One time, this boss forced two of his managers to take off their shoes and place them on the wrong feet just to make the point about having the wrong people in the wrong assignments. Well, when I think of a boss, I can't help but think of Michael Scott from the TV show, The Office. As you know, The Office depicted the everyday lives of employees in the Scranton, Pennsylvania branch of the fictional Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. And Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, played the regional manager, and he thinks he is a great boss. In fact, Michael Scott treasures the world's best boss mug that he has sitting on his desk, even though he bought it for himself at Spencer's Gifts in the Mall and has multiple replacements just in case it breaks. But Michael Scott tries so hard to get his workers to like him, and he winds up causing more problems than he solves. Here are some of the more outrageous things that Michael Scott has said as the boss at Dunder Mifflin. I'm friends with everybody in this office. We're all best friends. I love everybody here. But sometimes your best friends start coming into work late and start having dentist appointments that aren't really dentist appointments. And that's when it's nice to let them know that you could beat them up. <laughs> Here's another. You may look around and see two groups here, white collar, blue collar, but I don't see it that way. You know why not? Because I'm colorblind. He said, I'm an early bird and a night owl, so I'm wise and I have worms. And then finally, would I, would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Well, today I want to introduce you to another boss, and this one is in Matthew's Gospel, 
who at first glance may be someone we don't like very much or respect, who we may think is a few french fries short of a happy meal, who infuriates us with their words and actions until we realize what is really going on. So I invite you to join me as I think I found a text that speaks to the subject of grace. It is a parable of Jesus from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous. So the last shall be first, and the first will be last. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus says there was an owner of a vineyard, and it's been a very good year. The cluster of grapes are plump and juicy and ripe. They're hanging off the vine just waiting to be picked. And so one morning, the owner wakes up at the crack of dawn, he puts on his flannel shirt, pulls on his Wrangler jeans, puts on his boots, gets into his pickup truck, and heads into town to find some workers to come and harvest the grapes on his farm. Now, I said it's been a good year, and that means that laborers are in short supply. You gotta be willing to pay top dollar. Let's say it will cost $100 a day. The Bible says a denarius is equal to one day's pay. So let's make it a good day's pay. Let's say $100. And so he arrives into town. He finds a group of men and he asks them, do you want to come and work for me? They say, absolutely. And so he drives them back to his vineyard and he puts those men to work. But it's not too long before he sees that he does not have enough men to get those grapes off the vine. And if he waits too long, or if it rains, he might lose it all. And so he thinks for a moment, and then he makes a decision. He hops into his truck, he heads back into town about nine o'clock that morning, and he hires some more workers. He gets them in the back of his truck, drives them back to his vineyard, and he puts them to work. And he does the same thing at 12 o'clock noon, and then the same thing again at three o'clock. 
And he, each time he says to those men, I'm going to do right by you. I'm going to pay you top dollar. Well, he's in the vineyard with these workers. It gets to be about an hour before quitting time. And he looks around. He says, you know, I think I may have underestimated the size and scope of this job, not even this group of guys is going to be able to get this job done. And so he jumps into his pickup truck. He breaks all kinds of speed limits, getting back into town, trying to find a few more workers to complete the job. Like I said earlier, good workers are hard to find. So can you imagine the quality of workers that are available with just one hour left in the day? He goes to a street corner, and there are a bunch of guys hanging out. They've got bloodshot eyes. They've got rumpled clothing. They just look awful. They're holding brown paper bags containing the product of his vineyard. But he asks them, are you guys willing to work? And their eyes light up, and they say, sure. And they jump in the back of his truck, and then they head back to the vineyard. Well, meanwhile, back at the farm, those workers start talking with each other around the water coolers. You know how workers can be. And each group is asking the first group of workers, hey, how much did the boss promise that he would pay you? And they say $100. They say $100. We started at noon. That's 50 bucks for us. And even you guys who started in the last hour will get 10 bucks. Hey, that's better than minimum wage. But then comes pay time. And the first people that he pays are the ones that he hired last. And one guy walks out of the office, he opens up his envelope, and he almost passes out as he fans out in his hand 10 $10 bills, $100 for one hour's work. And he looks around, he grabs his jacket and his work gloves, and he makes a beeline out of there before he thinks the boss will realize that he made this huge payroll mistake. Well, finally, the other workers get paid. And when they catch up with the boss, they are furious. Here they have slaved all day long in the vineyard under the hot sun, and they wind up pocketing the same amount of pay as those deadbeats who came in at the last minute. And they are ready to file a complaint with the EEOC. But first, they want to tell the boss off. It says in verse 11, they grumbled against the landowner. Meanwhile, the boss folds his hands and sits back in his leather chair and he says, okay, listen, you agreed to work for me for $100 a day. If you look in your envelope, you will find $100. If I wanna pay the same amount of money to those people who came in at the end, that's my business. It's my money and I can do what I want with it. So get a life. Stop by the employee lounge on the way out, grab yourself a coffee and a donut and get over it. And that's the end of the parable. And then Jesus finishes by saying, and the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Now I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, John, that's right. First of all, isn't it a basic fact of life that the first story is first? Hey, if you finish first in the Olympics, you win a gold medal. If you finish first in the year in sales, the company will give you a bonus. The first always finish first. That's what's fair. That's what's right. That's what's good. It was the old Chicago Cubs manager, Leo DeRoche, who said, nice guys finish last. Well, Jesus is telling this parable 
to the Pharisees. Those who have been laboring in the vineyard of Judaism their whole lives, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's of the Mosaic law and who expect to go to heaven as their just reward. And it's to them that Jesus shocks. Hold on, he says. You see those homeless people over there? You see those scam artists? See those lazy bums? Guess what? Their paycheck is going to have just as many zeros in it as yours does. In one of his plays, the French playwright Jacques Anville has the righteous people line up outside the door of heaven just waiting to go in. And they're smiling confidently and they're shaking hands with each other and they're congratulating one another when all of a sudden out of nowhere from the back of the line come these people who are invited to go in ahead of them and they cut in front of the line and they go into heaven first and the people who are in the front cry out hey who are those people hey god what gives and they work themselves into such a frenzy that they curse god and in that moment they are condemned this is jacques Anville's portrait of the last judgment they judge themselves for grace appeared and instead of celebrating this gift they grumbled against God now what I find interesting is that when we look at this parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 we always seem to want to identify ourselves with those first hired workers we always seem to want to place ourselves in the most favorable position because we think we're better than we are. We think we're entitled to get more than anyone else. And so we'll say things like, well, thank goodness I'm not like so-and-so. One seminary professor wrote this, the initiative of grace lies with God and in its freedom to embrace a sinner, perhaps even over the objections of an exemplary individual, it shatters the expectations of human beings who prefer this, to structure their social world into polarities of good and bad, holy and unholy, pious and godless. All that is to say, friends, is that all of us, and I do mean all of us, are in desperate need of God's grace. Now, you look at the story, you say, well, John, I thought the one thing that God's grace does is make us happy. I think what Jesus is saying is it's hard, sometimes it's really hard to watch someone else receive a visitation of grace. Because in the parable, the landowner pays the last ones first. Those seven o'clock folks, they were literally forced to watch as those Johnny-come-latelys got the same pay as they would. You know, when we've been towing the line our whole lives to see freeloaders receive grace, doesn't that just grate on our nerves? Let's talk for a moment about new members. Not that they're freeloaders, but they are newcomers to the church. And they haven't been around for 50 years or 75 years. But I hope and pray, as we have recently had a new member class here, that they'll jump right in with both feet and that they'll allow God to use them in the various ministries that we offer here. This vineyard of a church, Chestnut Level, has been around for over 300 years. And here are these new people joining our church and they get access to the same opportunities as everyone else. They eat our food. They use our facilities. Hey, shouldn't they have to spend a year sitting in the back during the worship service? Oh wait, we already do that, Never mind. 
Uh, shouldn't they have to wait in the back of the line at all of our church fellowship dinners? And the answer is no, not in Christ's church. This parable is the Magna Carta for newcomers. Jesus' parable of the workers in the vineyard is a parable about grace. Grace comes crashing into our lives. The word in the Bible, the Greek word is the word charis, and it means unmerited favor. God's gift, it means getting what you do not deserve. Those first hired workers, they walk up to the boss and they say, you owe us what we deserve. And instead God says, I will give you my grace and that will meet the deepest longing of your soul. Recently, there were two old friends who met for breakfast at a restaurant somewhere down in South Carolina. There was one guy, let's just say he was from, oh, I don't know, New Jersey. And uh, he ordered uh, two, bake, uh, two eggs, bacon, a biscuit, and some coffee. And as his breakfast arrived, he noticed this white glob of stuff on his plate. And so he asked the waitress, what's that? And she said, those are grits. And the man said, well, I didn't order any grits. And the waitress says, sugar, you just relax. Down here, you don't order grits. Grits just comes. <laughs> Can't order grace at a restaurant can't buy it at walmart can't order it on amazon grace just comes grace is the and then some of the christian life grace is unmerited favor undeserved blessing unconditional love who do you think got the biggest and then some in the story who got the biggest pile of grace in the parable of Jesus? Believe it or not, I think it was those first hired workers because they spent the whole 12 hour day with the boss. Those poor workers, those ones who were hired right at the end, they only got, they only got to spend one hour with the boss. But those first hired workers, they received the blessing and promise of the vineyard owner. Friends, all that is to say is the reward is in the relationship. I remember back when I was in college, I had this crazy thought of how wonderful it would be if I were somehow able to figure out the exact moment when I would die. And what that would mean is that I could run amok and live my life sort of Hugh Hefner style, go wild and crazy, and then 15 minutes before I died, I'd drop to my knees, give my life to Christ, and go to heaven. What a deal. After all, it worked for the thief on the cross next to Jesus. But that is so wrong because the reward is in the relationship. Oh, to come to Jesus at the end of a ragged life is, is to have wasted that life. But friends, even if that is you, or even if that is someone who's watching today, you can still come today. In the movie, The War, Stu Simmons, played by Elijah Wood, lives in a rural, poor, section of Mississippi and he's constantly on the lookout for some of the neighborhood bullies who have singled him out as their next target. The young boy seeks the help of his Vietnam veteran father played by Kevin Costner but the kind of support that Stu receives makes no sense to him as his dad offers of all things grace and in the scene that we're going to see Stu and his dad are at a county fair when Stu is spotted by those bullies. 
and he runs, but they catch him and they begin to beat him up when his dad steps in and breaks it up. Have a look. Deserved blessing, unconditional love, getting what you do not deserve, that is sola gratia, grace alone. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God of grace and God of glory, we thank you for this powerful story that comes to us from the lips of Jesus and connects us to him even 2,000 years later and connects us to this idea of grace, getting something we don't deserve, unmerited favor, an undeserved blessing, a gift that comes from you. Oh God, we thank you that there is nothing we could ever do better that will ever make you love us anymore, and there's nothing we could ever do wrong that will make you love us any less you love us because you love us and it is out of your grace that you do so may you bless each person here as they rest under the umbrella of your grace and then indeed pass it on to those whom they meet along life's road and it is in the name of jesus christ the giver of all grace that we pray amen